Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Monday. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia with you here. It is Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid every day, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. If you're just tuning in for the first time, don't forget we also have a great YouTube channel. It is Sports Grid Radio. Make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channels on the TV and the radio side. We got great programming all day long, all night long for you here as well. Great to be back with you here on a Monday, Joe. Happy Father's Day. Hope you had a good day yesterday. I did. Happy Father's Day to you. I actually got to see my dad for the uh, first time in a few months. That was very nice. We got to have a little Chinese food, which is one of his favorite things. The, our favorite place over here is able to uh, still do takeout. That's great. And uh, we had a little gelato afterwards from uh, his other favorite place. So I did all the favorite things for dad. And uh, my kids got me some cool gifts. How about you? Did you get some uh, cool stuff for Father's Day? Anything fun? Yeah, I, I, interestingly enough, I did. I, you know, of course, don't know how to install it, but um, <laughs> but my my family got me a uh, on air light from my studio. Ah, very cool. That is excellent. Yeah. That's it. My my on air light is me just screaming out the I'm on the I'm on the TV. And it has been like that yeah. for ten years. Here yeah. Ago. Yeah, that's what you do when you work from home studios. This is what you just scream down the hall. I'm on, and you mute your microphone. Sometimes, sometimes you don't, and you just scream. Can't you tell I'm on the TV or on the radio right now? That's what but we do. That's that's, what we that's do. fun. I, I like that. Son just comes waltzing in, looks right at the screen. I like uh, the, that's the one happened your, before too. Trust is your me. daughter okay? The other day she came into the program. I oh, thought my, she was going to be a guest. My daughter knows the drill by now to peek a little bit. But my son just comes walking in. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, Louis Arias on the Twins. What did he do last? <laughs> Well, at least he's asking, but at least he's asking you topical things that kind of, you know, relate to what's going on. Not like, you know, Dad, I want to watch uh, Zombies 2 on Disney Channel. How do I get it on demand? Like, that's a whole different yeah, problem. I, I would imagine so. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to dive into a couple of things today. we got a lot to get to here. Coming up later, Scott Bogman, who, of course, uh, works with Joe at the Fantasy Black Book, is going to join us here on the show, talk some fantasy football. In addition to that, Mike Tagliere will join us as well. I play with Mike in a fantasy football league, a keeper league, and, of course, uh, we will have some football conversation amidst all the uncertainty that there is with sports. And first and foremost, perhaps the most uncertainty begins with Major League Baseball. And that's where we start once again here on this show uh, today. Of course, on Friday and Saturday, I'm sure most of you who pay attention to baseball, you, you heard over the weekend that essentially all the spring training camps have had to shut down due to COVID outbreaks on the west coast of florida and also in arizona so you can sort of eliminate any idea of a spring training 2.0 happening in florida and arizona and at this point we're we're kind of almost back where we were on friday i fully anticipated by sunday night having a lot more clarity as to what is going on uh, but ken rosenthal of the athletic basically gave us uh, you know the final or more or less i believe the final update of sunday night which essentially told us that uh, rob manfred went back to the players in this debate that's gone back and forth and said that any agreement that we do for 2020 will not preclude you guys from uh, getting paid if we do decide more postseason games in 2021. So eliminate that from the table. Uh, and essentially, it'll be a 60-game season. What do you guys think? And then Ken tweeted out, uh, as you can see the tweet here, that for whatever reason, the players uh, got off the phone call. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, look, I, I don't know. You got me at this point. Is it annoying? Yes. Is it frustrating? Yes. But but it can't be any more annoying to the to the guys who are covering this once again. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. And look, I consider myself somebody who covers the game and gets inside info and reports. I can't imagine getting these texts from important people over and over again and looking at my phone like I would want to just be like, come on, like just maybe that is the way that it's going on. Uh, but certainly as we head toward nothing with baseball or something. <laughs> Because that's the really abyss. the way it feels. That's I, I mean, I, I still right. in my heart feel like something will get done. And I believe there was a tweet that was sent out yesterday, too, saying uh, basically everything is the same. Just move the timeline up a couple of weeks, which instead of July 11th or July 18th means July 25th. And I'm sure eventually all that will be done. But, Joe, that's where it stands on, on this Monday. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like Tony Clark you know, must have got a little text from uh, Rob Manfred, and he was like, "Who, uh, who this new number? You know, I have no idea who Rob Manfred is. I don't know who that is. Whatever that number is, I don't recognize it." Uh, this has been the waiting game. I mean, we said a couple weeks ago too that if the longer the owners wait, the more everybody's backed against the wall. They have all the leverage, and they're just slowly pushing and pushing. And I don't know what the players are doing. I mean, they're going to have to basically succumb to it anyway. I know they're trying to wait as long. They're trying to get it as soon as possible now. That way there's enough time to file the grievance because there's a certain window of time. I believe if I've read things correctly for the 5,000th time that things have been out there, that legally there's a window here which they can file a grievance. But if they wait too long, then they might not be able to, or the grievance might fall under a different guideline. There, there's so much to unpack here. We shouldn't have to be this legally smart to try to watch baseball, but apparently you're going to need some sort of master's in uh, a degree in law or something like that, because that's where we're getting here. And it seems like we're, we're like right there. We're so close. I don't understand. We're so close. I don't know why they can't do it. Just, just do it already. Find a way to make this work. It's just crazy. And we were joking. We were being sort of facetious about, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a baseball season declared on Father's Day? Fathers and sons and baseball and and fathers and daughters and baseball. No, we got the Matumbo. So uh, I don't know. I still I'm still with you. I think it's going to get done eventually. It's just man, This is just it, the only thing more excruciating than this is watching my mother and my grandmother in like a diner in Brooklyn in the 80s fight over a check. Like that's the only thing possibly more embarrassing than this. Fighting this is, over who pays or who doesn't pay. Oh, who go oh, who uh, or Italian who's paying? No, 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 I'm paying. No, no, I want no, I'm paying. Sure on that one, yeah. uh, come on. This is the whole I mean, come on. It's the Italians is like, you know, we tip everybody for God's sakes. But I don't know, Craig. I mean, we're we're <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I feel like it's going to happen eventually, but at a certain point like how much pain can everybody take to get there? Is there a and threshold? It's, and it's amazing that these things, regardless of what's said, keep getting leaked out. I mean, it is. <laughs> I mean, if if I was uh, Rob Manfred and I was Tony Clark, I would say, hey, we've done so much damage to this point. Um, let's make sure that nothing else gets out. But let's, I thought that's what last week was. They got in a room together. How do you you get in a room for six hours, right? That, was that not the report that they were in a room I for guess. six hours? I mean, they botched everything from the beginning to the end. Uh, look, nothing changes from my stance here in baseball. I'll be super excited. Uh, I will be. It will be hard for me to contain my excitement next February when spring training begins and baseball is back and we're uh, virus free. Hopefully, I, I mean it's going to be an amazing time once that winter ends. But this ba- this particular uh, situation as it pertains to this and the baseball season has taken a hit. I mean, this year yeah. has taken a hit, and it's and it's simply now uh, all about putting baseball on the field for our enjoyment and almost nothing else. And it's almost the, the enjoyment that that of what's to come to make up for the last month of the nonsense. And and so everything will be fine next year. I firmly believe that. But I but this particular way that this has gone down mm-hmm. and the fact that they and, and I don't know that 65 games is the number that they could just meet upon and be done with it uh, I don't know if it seems like the less games they play the better chance there is of them getting into season it seems like the more games they put on the more complex it's going to be at this point because of the things I that know, are but five up. games <laughs> I, I mean does that really I mean does that is that what we're we're talking I, about I, I mean, don't know I, I, get I, mean, I agree 15, but, but I, but that's why it's that's why it's so mind numbing to me is that like here we are it's like five games one way or the other just somebody came and just get just get I mean, on you know what's, it's not mind numbing about the games it's mind numbing that we know that you and I are able that we should not know and we should you're not right. Talk you're you're right it. we probably shouldn't know but we you do know, this, this, this is, is the equivalent this is the equivalent of and and again I cover trades and I know about some trades in baseball and draft picks by the way that were just mm-hmm. drafted some teams that should have got this guy that I I there are some things that I know. You know the stuff. amount of things that we never know in sports. This should have been one of them. This yeah, but it was too big situation. not to know because too many people are dying and desperate. And look, I think it's a good sign that people want to know and people keep checking. I mean, you and I keep checking Twitter every you know ten it, yeah. minutes. I, I guess I guess that's a positive when we all look at things. But oh, it's just it's so frustrating that we get to this point. I, I and and you know what? I'm a perspective guy. I feel like you are too, and I feel like long term perspective is. The games get back on the field. Everyone takes a deep breath and life basically goes on. Yes, they will alienate a lot of people in the process, but because of the vacuum we're in where there's people are desperate for stuff to do and to watch that I feel like they, they will 
it will be a shorter angry time for them. They won't be, will, I'm never watching baseball again. They might get mad and then a couple games into the season, they'll be watching again too, probably. It, but you're not same, building new fans this way. It's That's the same the thing with everything. Uh, Adrian Peterson, people said they would never watch the NFL ever again. Yeah, after this it's kid. like what Kaepernick. Uh, and the Houston too. Astros, I will, will never watch, I will never yeah. talk about anything after the Astros, we haven't even heard the name Houston Astros uh, scandal in months. I mean, we're all prisoners. We heard a Yankees one, though, recently. <laughs> I wonder when that's going to start getting some more publicity. Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, the bottom line is, um, again, we're just following it for you. I know it's difficult for you guys to endure it, but it's it's a part of life. It's the closest sport to come back in terms of the major ones. Um, but that's not to say that some other sports have done a really good job. Uh, the RBC championship was really exciting. Went right down to the finish yesterday. Uh, Terrell uh, Halton and Abraham Answer, they were going right down to the end. And Brooks Kepka, all, all of the major golfers were involved, and it made for a really exciting finish. And at the Belmont, Tis the Law ended up winning. And certainly they're going backwards in terms of uh, a different order as far as the Triple Crown Challenge. But golf is back. You have interest, of course, in the Triple Crown. Uh, potentially, you'll have some interest in soccer. And, and somehow, you know, when, when you and look, I know that COVID is the enemy as it pertains to baseball. But even though it is, I mean, the KBO is playing and they're playing in Japan and games yeah. are going on. And so if we could well, just but get you know what all those people are doing, you know, when you look at places, you know, in certain spots in a lot of the Asian countries, they are mandatory wearing masks everywhere. And guess what? It's not about you getting sick. It's about you getting someone else sick, potentially. And I don't know why we can't wrap our minds around that. It's a very simple thing. It's, it's more of a courtesy than anything, for God's sakes. Yeah, I, yeah. That that's one for me that politics aside, it makes no sense to me. What's yeah, it's not a, how, it's how, not a how anybody it's could science. think that they don't want to. And by the way, I have people close to me and close to my family and friends that and I don't hear because they don't want to get me on the phone. But I hear my wife like explaining, no, I, I think it's a good idea. And like, she's like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, does somebody really think that they, I mean, but this is the way that people think that they, it's uncomfortable <sighs> or they, I, I, I've never, I, I mean, of all of the things that have happened so far to me, the mask thing is the mo most mind numbing because I firmly believe that had somebody called us in November and said, hey, this could all really be avoided in February and March if you guys wear masks. What's it about? Just trust me. Do it. Just do it. Just do it and I you'll feel, get baseball. I feel like a lot of movies. this could have been avoided in the first place. But <laughs> we wouldn't have known, and that's unfair. to. to, to it you know. is, but you know what? I mean, sometimes you got to trust the science. And look, I understand it's frustrating, but I mean, people here don't even have a problem. I can't go anywhere without well, everybody. Well, you don't live here. I, I know, and, it's, and that's what's frustrating. Where I am in Jersey, that's the way it is. But yeah. hopefully we keep our fingers crossed. All right. Uh, coming up next is time for this day in fantasy sports history. We'll have some fun with that. Also, our fantasy sports birthdays. So plenty more on tap. We'll hear uh, whose birthday it could be today and old-time uh, NBA legend named Pistol Pete. You know who that is. We'll have him next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. It's time for this day in fantasy sports history and our fantasy sports birthdays on this June 22nd, 2020. And before we get into it, just to give you an idea of what could be possibly in store this week, of course, we uh, had the Belmont running over the weekend. So a little bit different in terms of the racing. Of course, you have the NBA finals. You have the first overall pick in the NBA draft, the NHL draft. So those are sort of the topics that are on deck this week, along with some baseball, Joe. And so that's kind of where we're headed in terms of me looking a little bit ahead for those people who watch every day and wonder what happened in sports. That's uh, that's kind of where we're at. Well, I think looking ahead is good. Let's let's try to look ahead a little bit, right? I mean, what could it hurt, right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right. So this day in fantasy sports history for June 22nd, we'll start off in 1990. Bobby Cox uh, becomes the Atlanta Braves manager. They end up firing... Uh, Russ Nixon, he becomes the manager, and Joe, he goes on probably one of the historic runs all time for a manager. Certainly, there's Earl Weaver, and there's uh, Sparky Anderson, and Walter Alston, and Casey Stengel, and, and Billy Martin, and, and there have been some great managers 
but they bounced around quite a bit. And Bobby Cox, uh, when he got to Atlanta, I believe he was with Toronto too, but when he got to Atlanta, he ended up going on one of the best runs all time for a manager, and he landed in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, the greatest manager in Braves history, no doubt about that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, was he or was he not the manager of the 84 Blue Jays too, the ones that went to that that single-game playoff against the Tigers that year? It could be right. I know he was the manager of the Blue Jays. So Yeah, I do believe it was during that time. So this was a guy that, you know, I mean, he won everywhere he went. I know that people want to knock, you know, the Bobby Cox Atlanta Braves dynasty is only having the one championship to show for it. But, you know, they lost so many games late in bullpens and things like that. I think that was the one undoing is you go back and you look that closer position really, you know, he didn't have Eckersley. <laughs> he didn't have Mariano Rivera. He didn't have that guy at the end. He had the three horses at the top, but you know, unfortunately, some of those tight games, everybody remembers those tight games against Minnesota over the years, too. You know, some World Series they got to and they got blown out. Others they got to and they maybe you can make the argument should have won. But I think when you look back at the career of Bobby Cox and most importantly, the impact that whole regime had, we're talking about uh, from the front office all the way the managers all the way down to the players too. just, I mean, changing the culture because the Atlanta Braves were just kind of, you know, hanging around there in the 80s. And then all of a sudden in the 90s, all of a sudden, they became a dynasty for the next 20 years and still to this day, a very formidable beast in the East in Major League Baseball still. And uh, Bobby Cox hasn't managed in quite some time for that team. So you could tell it's sometimes success just breeds success. And it's an incredible run that team has gone on over these last two decades plus. Yep. And uh, John Sherholtz was uh, the general manager now also in the Hall of Fame. And as a player, Bobby Cox played for what team? The Yankees, Joe Ranieri. <laughs> I almost said it, but I, I was going to leave it alone. I'm glad you said it today. Keep the keep the faith go. alive there. We're keeping the streak alive. I like running bits. 1991, Eric Lindros, uh, first overall pick by the Quebec Nordiques. This guy had controversy following him around quite a bit, ended up with Philadelphia. Uh, goes down as, as a great hockey player, but, you know, had also a lot of controversy surrounding him, it felt like, for a long time. He was like the player everybody loved to hate. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> There was a love-hate relationship with him in Philadelphia, too, because I was in college those years where he was a prominent player. I totally forgot about him being drafted by the Nordiques. I mean, I just assumed he was drafted by the Flyers. I did not realize that. But uh, Lindros then later on played for the Rangers, not the Yankees, but he did make a run there as well. Uh, but, yeah, Eric Lindros, definitely one of those guys that was a very polarizing athlete, and Philadelphia is known for them. 1994, Houston Rockets win the NBA championship over the New York Knicks, four games to three. A very competitive uh, series, low-scoring series, by the way. A lot of defense in that one, but the Rockets end up taking the title there. 1996, Michael Moore wins the heavyweight championship, and this is sort of this run of a lot of different champions in boxing. Moore now lives in South Florida. Um, one of my interesting moments with Michael Moore was seeing him many, many years ago um, at the World Series. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I may have been with my wife at the 2003 World. It was a big game, big football game or big baseball game. And I remember seeing him, and uh, and I remember my wife. I'm like, oh look, there's Michael Moore, and and I said, hey Michael, what's going on? And he's like, it's not me. And I'm like, really? Like we're really gonna play that? Game? Nah. <laughs> like, like do you do you realize who you're looking at here? Like I know who you are. I'm Craig Mish. Do you know who I am? That's I mean, come on, man. Like. You're Michael Moore, no offense, but he's like, it's not me, it's not me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and by the way, when somebody says it's not me, it usually means that's them. <laughs> you have to, like, have a little confusion, like, huh, like, what? Uh, what? Well, you know, look, well, look, look, look. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, by the way, in case you're uh, new to the show, everybody lives within, like, basically a five-block radius of Craig Mish, too, it's which true. is amazing. It's very, it's very true. true. It's well, amazing. Look, the, you've got to understand, I, I mean, know. professional athletes – I all know. live in Florida. Well, Texas. Yeah, sure. State, no state I mean, income tax. Totally the best basketball things. player of all time. The best golfer of all time. The best home run hitter of all time. I mean, uh, the well, I mean, Pete Rose forever with the most hits of all time. I mean, like Craig's a baseball go insider of all time, Craig Mish. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Some Someday I hope to be great enough to move closer to you. I'm going to be your very, neighbor. I'm very fortunate I, to, to live in Florida and, and and be able to bump into all these guys throughout the years. Is, is just I want to be the Ned Flanders to your Homer Simpson someday. That's that's my only hope in life. We'll pack you up. All right, uh, 2017, Markel Fultz, first pick uh, in the NBA draft by the Philadelphia 76ers. Brett, is that a success at this point, would you say? Markel Fultz's 
being picked in the uh, in the first round. Yeah, I did not <laughs> think so at this point. Um, you know, the Sixers did draft Embiid, and and you know he's you know been phenomenal for them. Uh, ben Simmons is pretty good too. I would say a lot of people feel like he needs to take the next step, but Fultz has not been uh, somebody that the Sixers can uh, can count on. So. Um, we'll close out there in 2017. All right, uh, fantasy sports birthdays for June 22nd. Uh, Pete Maravich left us a long time ago, but sort of transcended the game, and a lot of players in the NBA, uh, you know, kind of transformed themselves to act like Pete Maravich. And you've heard that before. And and I guess that at this point, with him passing away so long ago, maybe that certainly has changed, and you would have to go back and YouTube it and all that. But I remember Joe in the 90s and 2000s, players still talking about. Uh, Pete Maravich and kind of modeling their game after him. Great, co- unbelievable college player, great pro player as well. Yeah, absolutely. Pistol Pete, uh, this was a guy that uh, could do amazing things off the dribble, man. And that was the thing is the ball handling skills. And I think a lot of people looked at him and just realized that this was kind of that next level of guard, the guy who could bring the ball up in different ways, the guy who could just, you know, kind of take take that one step to the right, one step to the left, the no-look passes, all the things they did. He brought a lot of flair to the game, too. Some people didn't like that, too. A lot of the old-school NBA people at the time didn't care for his antics, as they called it. But uh, one thing's for sure, you could look at the modern-day NBA, and you could see a huge impact of Pistol Pete on some of the point guards you've seen over the years, the Allen Iversons of the world and, you know, the Magic Johnsons, all all those guys over the years who, you know, really kind of played the game with a lot more flair and a lot more style. And Pistol Pete was one of the first guys to kind of bring that into the mainstream. So certainly important figure in basketball. And like you said, kind of gets a little forgotten about because he did pass away such a long time ago and didn't play in the era of the NBA in the 80s and 90s where it was obviously the golden age. So I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle, too. 1962, speaking of which, Clyde Drexler, former great player with the Trailblazers, and then Joe, uh, you know, one of those, you know, great stories where he ends up going to Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, and Houston ends up winning a championship. And so, uh, you know, Drexler is certainly a, a big part of everything that Portland accomplished, running into Jordan all of those years, and then goes to Houston and finds fortune when Jordan ends up retiring and captures a championship. Now, I, I believe, maybe Brett can, you know, again, Brett is our basketball man. I think he played college uh, basketball in Houston, too. Okay, so there mm-hmm. you go. So, you know, the full circle of that career is kind of neat, too, when you think about that. Great college player in Houston kind of came back all the way around to win the title there. Also, great mustache. Can we not let that get lost in the shuffle, too? He there's was in the iconic, mustache There's some iconic mustaches. He was one of them. I don't know if he's still rocking the mustache now. I hope he is, because it was pretty damn good. Yep, and he also played in the era where guys were a little uncertain as to what to do with the hair, because... <laughs> You're right. A lot You're of right. a lot of that guy in the in the guys in that era like just sort of let the hair thin and just like had half hair and all that. Now it's so cool to be bald that mm-hmm. it's you know they just shave and it's not even a, a, a thought. But Drexler was one of those guys where well, it was Jordan like, was definitely one. He was very much in my mind one of the first guys I remember like the young bald guy who just shaved his head and it was cool. <laughs> you know fair. when you. I mean, is there, was there a guy other than Jordan that you like thought of first? I mean, I I kind of think I, of him. I have as the to go back and look and think about it, but it it feels like that sounds right. I mean, he was a pioneer for my people, and uh, it's a very important thing. You have Bruce Willis, you have Michael Jordan, you have some figures in the bald community who are kind of uh, very active. You know, said, so, you know what? No, no, I'm gonna take you before you take me, my friend, and that's it. And then it takes a lot of bravery to do that. Uh, this is since 2005. Just get a good look at it right there. Still very aerodynamic, freshly sl- shaved this morning as good. well, I might add. But uh, yeah, one of the, the great ball icons. Eventually, he did give in, though, Clyde. He, he did, did not- give in, and yeah. he gave in. Carl Malone eventually gave Ray, in. Yeah, you know, Ray it Allen happened gave later in. on. <laughs> Much right. later on, they, they made yeah. those. But now it doesn't even. Now, of course, it's just, it's cool. But back That's then, right. it was like you know, Kareem never gave in. You know, or did Kareem? Yeah. I think Kareem may have given in. Like at right uh, No, Kareem did give in eventually as well. And, yeah, I mean, thirty years for him to give in. Yeah, did Magic Johnson give in? Is that another one too? I feel like Magic's bald now, isn't he? I don't know. I'm not. I don't think so. I can't. I can't recall that. Uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal wasn't always bald. I remember that. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal at one point had some hair. <laughs> Great bald conversation on the show. It is. All right, you ni- know what? 19- let's move on. 1963, uh, Randy Couture, one of the great MMA wrestlers and fighters of uh, of really of all time and sort of transcended that sport. Needs to be mentioned. His birthday is today. Uh, 1970- Another great bald icon needs to be mentioned as well. Randy Couture, okay. just saying. 1971, Kurt Warner, Pro Football Hall of Famer, and also, of course, Super Bowl champion with the Rams and two-time Super Bowl appearance, made another one 
later on with the Arizona Cardinals. And then 1978, Champ Bailey, another fantastic player in the NFL, uh, unbelievable college player, great pro player as well. Yeah, uh, Kurt Warner, one of the great stories of all time in terms of comebacks. A guy that was working in a grocery store and then playing in the Arena Football League, obviously, and then goes and wins a Super Bowl on, <laughs> you know, an injury opens up an opportunity. In the amazing words of uh, Dick Vermeil, we will we will rally around Kurt Warner and we will play good football. Well, they certainly did. They uh, they got all the way to the Super Bowl, won it, got there the next year and lost it to the Patriots. But still, a great show on turf. One of the uh, the iconic teams in the NFL history. There's no doubt about that. And Kurt Warner, you know, people go back and forth about the Hall of Fame in him. And you know what? I still say he is a Hall of Famer. I know he finally got in there a couple years ago. But that's that second run with Arizona that I cinched it for me. Not the first one. Uh, I know it was going down years there when he played for the Giants, but it's getting that team again to the Super Bowl. And what a great Super Bowl that was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. For my money, that's one of the top five Super Bowl games ever. I know not everybody was hot over it necessarily. I, you know, big fan base for the Cardinals necessarily. But man, that was a great football game. It sure was. Champ Bailey, by the way, uh, involved in, in one of the really intriguing trades in NFL history where two great players were traded for each other. Uh, Bailey for Clinton Portis and probably a trade uh, looking back on it that did work out potentially for both teams, but one that would never be made again because cornerbacks are so valued now and running backs are not just kind of an interesting way to end this segment here. Uh, Coming back next, we'll dive into some fantasy football conversation. Mike Tagliere joins Joe Pizzapia. They break down some fantasy football for the upcoming season. So don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Hey, yo, welcome back, everybody. It's me, Joey P. Welcome in again to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish taking a segment off because he deserves a break here on the program. Probably know him from Fantasy Pros, from the football podcast there, and also from what I like to call the manifesto, which is every week before you set your lineup, Mike Tagliere basically goes through and gives you everything you have to know about every single player. It's madness. It's the greatest thing ever. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And if you're not following him on Twitter at Mike Tagliere, you should be. He's Fantasy Pro's own and Black Book contributor, Mike Tagliere. Welcome to the program, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. I I, I would say that I don't get anywhere in my process of writing that throughout the week, the primer, but without listening to like Spotify, right? And did you know that there's a song called Axel F? You know, from like the soundtrack of Beverly Hills. Oh Cop. yeah, uh huh. Oh yeah, I, I didn't know, know that was the name of the song, but I found it today, and I'm loving it, and it, I I feel great. <laughs> See, and now everybody knows what you're jamming out to and where your mindset is when you're working, and that's very important to know. And speaking of that work, let's dive into it because I think the first thing on everybody's mind is we've got two Hall of Fame worthy quarterbacks, two legendary guys who've been fantasy stalwarts for the last two decades, basically, are now in different spots. And everyone's trying to react to that and figure out how they are. Phillip Rivers, the first one going from one of the worst offensive lines in football to one of the best and still threw for 4,600 yards last year. And Tom Brady going from the Patriots to another team, sacrilege, it hurts my heart. But at the same time, we have to kind of adapt to that. So let's go through those situations. Let's start with the Colts first before we get to Tampa and Brady. What do you see for Phillip Rivers in this offense now? And how does it have a ripple effect on these wide receivers and possibly the running game as well? Well, he had Frank Reich as a coach back in uh, Los Angeles, San Diego, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so Rivers actually played pretty well under him. So he does have a, a grasp on the system. But my concern about both these quarterbacks is that they're going to a, a new team and it is going to be a changing scheme with different players around them that they really just don't have the time to build the chemistry. I think that they're going to need to. I mean, go back to last year. Talk about someone like Odell Beckham going to a brand new team with the Browns, a guy that was legitimately probably the best fantasy fantasy wide receiver on a game by game basis throughout his career. And then he finishes, you know, wide receiver three territory with Baker Mayfield that first year. Uh, But Rivers having a little bit of knowledge of the system does help. Uh, Tom Brady, 
I, I worry about the chemistry because they haven't been able to get with those guys in the offseason. I think the best thing the Bucks did do was go out and get Rob Gronkowski, someone that he's familiar with over the middle of the field. And then you go back to, to Phillip Rivers. I know I'm bouncing around here, but there's so many things that we have to look to in history and say Phillip Rivers has loved the middle of the field throughout his career. You know, you go back to Eddie Royal back with the Chargers. He made something of him. <laughs> yes. uh, then you go through Antonio Gates, even towards the end of his career. Hunter Henry. We loved Ladarius Green for a while. So. I think someone that's being undervalued like quite a bit right now is someone like Jack Doyle. But in fantasy football, I stay away from Rivers. He offers you absolutely zero rushing upside. If any, if I'm choosing between these two, it's definitely going to be Brady, just because Brady is a guy that is going to be working with the best wide receivers of his career. And, you know, you saw when he was tied to Randy Moss a couple of years back, mm-hmm. uh, what those two were able to accomplish. So uh, not to say that Mike Evans, Chris Godwin are in, in Randy Moss's class, but they are the best weapons that he's had in quite some time. So Brady is someone, if you wanted a guy that to draft as a low end QB one, maybe not going to win you your fantasy league, but he's all, but he, he's not going to lose you your fantasy league either. I think he'll be a good low end QB one. You know, it's sad is they're getting old now because it seems like a few years ago, but it was 12, 12 years ago. So for Randy Moss. So 12 I years ago, want, I just want some perspective there. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about 08. <laughs> was that <laughs> that was not. Was it really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize it was that. I didn't realize it was hey, that long ago flies when you're having fun. Well, here's a question for you. Um, I, I wonder about how they're going to support Brady with a running game in Tampa, because that's that one thing that's kind of been elusive to them the last few years. Yeah. Uh, so. I've seen a lot of Tom Brady in the last few years, more than most because I'm a Pats guy, but I always saw a guy running a lot of play action, them running a lot off of the run. If they can't get that running game going, does it matter how good the receivers are or you just think it's going to be just a volume play in that Arians offense? It's somewhat of a volume play because I still believe that the the Tampa Bay secondary has some issues on defense. They were able to stop the run last year, but that didn't stop this team from throwing the ball more than 600 times. Uh, but I do worry about that. I really did believe that they were going to bring in someone to complement more of Ronald Jones's role in that offense because Darrington Evans, or, or not Darrington Evans, Darrington Evans is a guy they should have probably drafted. But Deion Lewis was cut by the Titans. I felt like it was a natural fit for him to go right. and be a sidekick to someone like Ronald Jones. Uh, but they draft Keyshawn Vaughn, who some people are tying into saying he was a great pass catcher. I don't know where that really came from. Uh, I remember scouting him thinking he's a fine player. Uh, he's actually older than Ronald Jones and Ronald Jones really stepped up towards the end of the year. This could be somewhat of a timeshare, but I don't see either of them filling that James White role in. That's one of those things that Brady does extremely well. That's underrated by him as a quarterback. Sure. It's a short average depth of target that he's throwing, but those swing passes that someone like him, Drew Brees, that they throw to Camara, that they throw to James White, those are things that I, I don't know if Tampa Bay has that player on their roster yeah. right now. And that's what I'm worried about for Tom Brady, because those swing passes, those touch passes down the sideline, those are the things that are, that were kind of racking up those small chunks of yardage where this run game, there are some moving pieces on the offensive line. This offensive line has not been great, which is why they addressed it in the draft. But uh, there are definite things to be worried about when it comes to the run game in Tampa Bay, uh, you know. I'm not necessarily sold on either Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn, but um, Tom Brady should be at least competent regardless. All right, let's move on to uh, one of the pieces Mike's got up on fantasypros.com right now, which is guys who are going to be moving up or he envisions moving up uh, in ADP over the next few weeks as we start to talk about these guys more, vet them more, as people like me and Mike open their mouth on podcasts about these guys. And I want to talk about Todd Gurley because he was lower in a lot of ADPs than I thought he would be. In the Black Book, we've got him a little bit higher than a lot of other publications. I think it's based on the touchdowns and the opportunity. And you're looking at him as one of these guys who might move up as well. Now, whenever I'm looking at a guy, Mike, who is basically playing for his career, I understand it's very polarizing. I understand there's a lot of risk. But part of me is okay with that risk now even more so than last year when he was going somewhere around the turn. Now he's going somewhere, you know, probably in the third round, give or take, depending on what's happening there. And I'm looking at risk reward and it feels like it's the right combination of those two things. So why do you think Gurley might be a guy that kind of moves up boards as we go? He should move up boards. Uh, you know, when you look at the Falcons offense and you look at what Devonta Freeman did last year, he finishes a top 20 back 20 running back while playing 14 games in that offense. He wasn't very, very good. <laughs> and then you look at, you know, the competition that he has to face in that backfield. Edo Smith was a guy that, yes, he got hurt and ended his season, but he's also a guy that was about to get benched in season. They were going, they were moving more towards Brian Hill and then Brian Hill got a bigger role and he stumbled in that role. So there's really no competition on this team right now for Todd Gurley. I think they're going to give him as many touches as he can handle and the part you have to like most about Todd Gurley is that he's tied to this Falcons offense that's continually finishing as a top 12 12 scoring team 
Why is that important? It's important because I do a, I do research every single year for an article that I write and saying, what does team scoring mean for fantasy football? Joe, uh, 12, 12 teams, the top 12 scoring teams, they make up just 37% of the NFL. All right. Hmm. But fun fact, 60.4% of RB1s come from those 37% of teams. Wow. So it's almost like you have a double chance, like your, your chances right, double to, up, to yeah. finish as an RB1 uh, if you're playing in a top 12 scoring offense. And the Rams last year finished at number 10. So you saw Gurley sneak into that range. He was close to that tier. But at the same time, this is an offense that things open up so much when you have guys like Julio Jones, when you have Calvin Ridley who demand double coverage. He's not going to see the eight-man fronts. I, I Again, Tying, going back to Devonta Freeman, he was a usable uh, running back in this offense. Todd Gurley, the arthritic, the, arth, the arthritis that he's been dealing with and the people that are talking about it now saying it's such a big concern, he's had arthritis in his knee going back to college because once your knee is opened up for surgery, which it was when he had his torn ACL back at Georgia, you're going to have arthritis. So it's something that they do have to manage, but I'm seeing anywhere from 16 to 18 touches in this backfield per game and a top 12 scoring offense. And I think he's going to catch the ball more too. We saw Devonta Freeman. That was the one thing he did do in this offense was catch yep. the ball. And, you know, let's stay in the Falcons because there's another guy I know on this list as well for you that might be rising. And I actually likened him just recently here on the network to what I saw Chris Godwin last year as a guy that I was drafting everywhere. And then he moved up all the way almost into the second round. That's Calvin Ridley with a new left last year. You saw a lot of the targets go his way. Obviously, Austin Hooper has gone as well. And this is not like the simple oh, addition by subtraction. I'm seeing a player that has flashed these moments of greatness before. He had a fantastic college career. And I think we're looking at an opportunity here for both him and Julio to eat at the table. And I'm looking at Ridley to move up as a potential wide receiver one this year. And I think you feel the same way about him as well. Yeah, I love how you brought up like the entire offense and, and you're saying Todd Gurley is going to get more, uh, you know, receiving uh, like targets, I should say, in the passing game, because last year the Rams targeted their running backs fewer than any other team in the NFL. I was madness. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy how how fast things shifted there in, in mm -hmm. L.A. I think that they got a little bit cute. It's almost like a Matt Nagy thing with the Bears last year, just too cute. And like, you know, yeah. go back to what works for your team, uh, you know. But looking at this Falcons team, Dirk Cutter has been the, the offensive coordinator for this team off, off and on for four. It's been four years that he's actually coached this team. Every single one of those years, the Falcons have been top eight in pass attempts. Now, granted, did they get better on defense? Eh, I don't know. Uh, the cornerback unit could still definitely use some work. Uh, they've dealt with injuries to their front seven. But this team will be up there in pass attempts. And when you remove Mohamed Sanu from the offense, they never really replaced him. Uh, so unless you think that Russell Gage is going to walk into, you know, a 90 target role, a la someone like Randall Cobb last year with the Cowboys, I don't see that happening. I see Calvin Ridley hitting that 120 target mark. Uh, and when you get those targets from Matt Ryan, they're going to be worth more than someone like, you know, DJ Moore potentially getting 130 targets from Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard this Calvin Ridley train back in January. I wrote a, uh, an article. It was an early bold prediction article. And I said that, that uh, Calvin Ridley becomes the one, a one B to Julio Jones in this offense. And that both finishes top 12 wide receivers. So I am definitely aboard that. And I also think that there's another player on that offense who's being undervalued. That's Hayden Hurst, who might, in my opinion, is a better, better tight end from a, an actual skill standpoint from a than Austin, standpoint, than Austin, who, from yeah. some of the measurables, you could absolutely say that. You know, I only got like a minute here, too. I want to slide yeah. in one more wide receiver, too, get your thoughts on him. Because you yeah. and I see eye to eye here. I want to see what you think about Juju Smith-Schuster, too. Because I feel like as we're getting closer and closer to the season and more and more removed from last year, we're starting to shake the dust off of our fears of Juju. Is that correct? Or should there be some fears still, too, about taking him as, let's say, even your number two wide receiver? Because that's basically where you're going to have to take him, if not a little sooner. I absolutely love Juju. I have him ranked as my number seven wide receiver right now. And I know, I know that's bold because he can fall into the fourth round a lot of times. And if you get him as your wide receiver too, jump, do some jumping jacks, do something, get excited. <laughs> uh, he's like Roethlisberger with him in the office. Mike and I could talk for hours and hours, but he's got other things to do. He's bold. He's bearded. He's Mike Deglier. Make sure you check out all of his work over at fantasypros.com and also check out the podcast with him and Bobby Sylvester. And of course, uh, our boy Kyle Yates as well. Uh, we've got more great content for you here. And by the way, if you can't get enough Mike Taglier, go check him out in the Black Book too, because he's one of our contributors over on Amazon. Mike, we always appreciate uh, you stopping by here on the show and dropping this amazing fantasy football knowledge. Nobody better than Mike. I'll say it once, I'll say it twice. We appreciate your time. All right, stay tuned. More great stuff coming at you on Fantasy Sports today. Stick around, get on the grid and stay on it. We'll be right back right after this.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And welcome back. Hopefully you guys had a chance to check out the FanDuel Sportsbook over the weekend. We had some great tournaments going on, not only UFC, but the RBC Heritage coming right down to the final day. A lot of players all bunched up going into the final round, really provided for an intriguing finish. And as sports comes back, FanDuel is definitely your spot to be. And it will be your spot, provided that we get sports underway in baseball and basketball and hopefully even football come this fall. And what the other thing that FanDuel has done is create content for us. And certainly we can go into some of the different odds and features that they have placed. And that's what we're going to do on today's show. And very specifically, Joe, we're going to take a look at a couple of teams as far as where they potentially would finish within the division. Now, remember, the FanDuel Sportsbook is legal if you can bet legally in your state, but it's completely free to access. All you have to do is just simply pull up any search engine, including Google, just Google FanDuel Sportsbook. Skip ahead of all the signups if you're not in a city where you can't use it, and you can still check out the odds every single day. And so uh, this is one of the great things about FanDuel, Joe, is that as John Sheeran told us a couple of weeks again, they're creating content and they're also creating intriguing wagers. And, you know, some of them may be maxed out at 50 bucks or 100 bucks a wager and, and probably should be at this point, given the uncertainty of everything. I don't think that anybody wants to go put a lot of money out. I'm sure FanDuel doesn't want to refund a lot of money with no bets either. So it makes sense for everyone. No, absolutely. And uh, you're right. It has given us great content here on all the shows on Sports Grid and uh, good things to think about. And I, and I keep trying to tell everybody, I keep doing some of these on my podcast as well on the Black Book Show. And what we're doing is we're taking a lot of those individual player numbers that they're putting out there and turning them into fantasy conversations. And you could do the same thing with the win totals of these teams and, and where you think they're going to finish, because a lot of this, uh, the setting of these numbers kind of is a little indicative of where the thought process is between, you know, before these talents and before these teams and what 2020 might potentially look like for them. And in turn, what the fantasy impact is for those individual players on that team. So it's starting to build those narratives. It's starting to build those stories where you start to look forward to the season. And I think this kind of helps shape and in a way preview all these teams as well. So I'm looking forward to get into some more of these today. All right, so let's kind of dive into uh, some of the odds. And we'll start off today with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, you know, just kind of a, a very, very interesting proposition, I think, on FanDuel, because as you'll see here, uh, this is this is basically a future that shows where their position will end up at the end of the season. So, of course, in the division of the AFC North that they play in, they can only finish one of four, first, second, third or fourth. And so that's you know very clear. I'm just you know breaking it down very simply for you. And as you see here, they're really is a favorite, but it's not all that significant. You still can get pretty good value at, I think, three of the four different opportunities. First, you have them at plus 340, so that's $100 to win 340. Second, plus 125, 100 bucks to win 125, simply put. Third is, is also pretty nice, plus 195, risking 100, double your money if the Steelers are a little bit worse than what the odds say. And then fourth place would seem a little bit unrealistic, but nonetheless, you can get great odds if you think the Steelers are going into tank mode and hit that plus 750. So, you know, Joe, I, I think one, two or three really provide some realistic opportunities. I personally don't see the Steelers finishing last in the division. I think that would be somewhat of a long shot. It would require probably, unfortunately, Big Ben to either not be himself or not be there at all. I think, And, and if that happened, by the way, he's, they certainly could very easily finish fourth. But they always seem to find a way with whoever they have out there, significant injuries. Tomlin, you know, while Tomlin may not be winning Super Bowls every year for the Steelers, when Tomlin's reign is done as the head coach of the Steelers, we'll look back on him and say, man, he got the most out of his guys virtually every single year. No Antonio Brown, no Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers were pretty competitive last year. So I would probably cross off fourth, but I would say one through three all seem pretty realistic. Yeah, I would cross off fourth as well because of that defense and not to make a bad Steeler pun, but, you know, this defense was kind of forged in fire last year because of how bad the offense was without Ben Roethlisberger. And they were put in some really difficult positions and yet they time and time again performed very well. I mean, bad field position, bad situations. I mean, everything you could imagine also just being on the field so much because the offense was so incapable at times of moving the football. 
And I think they're going to be much better for it this year. You saw the emergence of TJ Watt. You saw Mika Fitzpatrick make a huge contribution to this team. And I think that this is a defense that feels very confident. And this is the first defense that I think is really kind of, um, you know, he inherited a great defense by Tomlin and a great defensive coach and kind of lived off that for a little while. But this is like, I feel like the first real group that has a chance to rival that old Steelers defense. And uh, I know the, the Shazier injury was a huge, huge blow to this defense and, and what they had planned. But I think they've been able to come back a little bit from that with some of the linebacker play. I don't think this is a fourth place team either. The question is, do they have an opportunity to unseat the Ravens, which would seem unlikely except for the fact Oh, this is a really good defensive team. Where I worry is the running game. James Conner's health, can he stay on the field enough to be that guy? And we know the talent is there, but the track record tells us probably not. Uh, is Juju going to rebound and be Juju from the past? I'm optimistic he's going to be, but it's not a sure thing either. And I think that's why you see them looking as a second-place team. I think it's going to be a very competitive division, though, because the Bengals are going to be at least better on the offensive side of the football. They were actually pretty decent last year statistically again, they No team had as many leads and games as the Cincinnati Bengals had and only won one game in the history of the NFL. So it's basically a defensive fault for the most part on that team and some ineptitude on offense, but could get better this year markedly with Joe Burrow. Then, of course, what do you have with the new head coach in Cleveland? So this division could be surprisingly competitive. However, I think it's still foolish not to think the Ravens are the top of it. I think that number two spot, I think, is locked in for them. That's why you have the best odds. And I kind of don't see it shaking from there. Do you still see that plus 125 as a good bet, though, Craig? I think it's I, I could go anywhere one through three, because, again, there, you know, first place is also one injury for sure away from getting knocked out of first. And that would put the Steelers right in that position. So it would be one, two or three for me. I think that if I was going to take one hundred dollars. And I don't believe that I would on a bet like this. But if I was going to, I would pick third and I would try to make the most mm. out of a bet here. Um, because, again, there, I, I just while while second may seem the most realistic, it is the NFL and strange things sure. can happen. But the only thing I don't see is is regardless of, of Burrow and even if Burrow was to be as good uh, for his team like Kyler Murray was for his team last year, that's the, that's still not going to amount to nine or eight wins. So. Um, I do think the Bengals, unfortunately, are probably most likely slated for last. And so I would I would throw third out there as, as a possibility. I think third is more realistic than first. And second is the chalk. And I don't, I'm not usually a chalk guy. So that's where I would stand with, uh, with Pittsburgh here. All right. Uh, moving on from the Steelers to another polarizing topic, which is, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their 2020 season. They are upcoming right now. The Buccaneers play also in a competitive division, but they seem to think that that division is for the taking or else they wouldn't have gotten gone out and signed Tom Brady. They wouldn't have brought Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. I mean, certainly these are the kind of things that you do when you're trying to win right now with an older coach, an older quarterback, and essentially uh, more or less an older team at this point. So let's take a look at the Bucs' uh, uh, odds to win the NFC South. And uh, their first place odds right now are plus 160, second place plus 140, third place plus 320. And I just simply don't think that anybody uh, feels anyone outside of Carolina is going to finish in last in that division. And it certainly is headed that way, I feel like. I mean, give me where is where are Carolina's odds? Let's throw Carolina's graphics up there. That's a team that I would bet last place. But you probably have to lay minus 300 on that. So. First at plus 160, second at plus 140, third at plus 320, fourth at 11, or uh, is it 11 to 1? 11 to 1. Okay. Yep. So where do you see that? Oh, man. The uh, the offseason narrative of the Buccaneers. You know, there's, there's a part of me that says, what a great story it would be. Tom Brady going to another place. I'm a big Bruce Arians fan. All of a sudden, you take away those 30 interceptions from Jameis Winston, and all of a sudden, you give the ball to a very capable quarterback who does not turn the ball over nearly as much. A defense, it was incredibly good against the run last year, but there are still some problems with the Bucs. The Bucs still have a huge question mark in the run game. Who's going to be that guy? Is it going to be Ronald Jones? Can it ever be Ronald Jones? Is it going to be Keyshawn Vaughn? We don't know. Do you want to put a rookie running back there with, with Tom Brady a lot? Is he going to be able to pick up pass coverage? There's so many questions here, and there's not enough answers. So I look at that first place as just, man, they'd have to have everything go right and then on the flip side, everything go wrong for New Orleans to get first place. I don't even think first is an option. I think the plus 160, you throw it out the window. Then you have to fight around, okay, what do you think of the Atlanta Falcons? Because that's what this comes down to. Now, if you think the Atlanta Falcons this year are going to be the surprise sleeper team, 
than this third place vote here uh, in terms of confidence for the Tampa Bay Bucks makes a whole lot of sense. And there's a lot of money that can be made here because you can also make the argument that a lot of times when you bring in a lot of players and you bring in, you know, the mercenaries, as I like to call them, it doesn't always materialize into W's, unfortunately. Sometimes it takes a little longer for things to gel than people realize. And Atlanta did finish the season very strong last year, six and two on the way out of the season. I know it was equally bad in the first half, but for whatever reason, that team showed a lot of fight and they have a much greater continuity in terms of players. Sans the addition of Todd Gurley. And obviously, I don't want to bring that up too much because I know that makes you upset. You don't like Todd Gurley very much. So to me, it's second or third. And I think if the wager in me was looking to make some money, I think that third place thing of let's write the narrative of, you know, not everything ends in a storybook ending even for Tom Brady necessarily. That's the way I would look at this is that third place potential finish there, which I know would be shocking, but second just seems very chalk and boring to me and first doesn't seem achievable. What are your thoughts on this, Craig? Yeah, I would go second or third as well. Um, I think I'm, I'm just not a big fan of Atlanta, so it's hard for me to, I think it could be very close uh, second and third. I think both teams probably around 500. Um, but 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 again, there's a there's a difference between this chalk and the last one, and it's 15 cents, and that's a big number. I mean, plus 140 as opposed to plus 125. It's not really big when you're betting 100, dollars but if you're betting a thousand, and I don't know that you can, but if you're betting a mm-hmm. thousand, you're making 250 extra dollars essentially by taking the favorite here, which is what I would do. I I, I believe that they're better than Atlanta. I believe they're better than Carolina. I don't think they're better than the Saints. And I think the division all gets crumbled up here. I think it's, you know, Carolina with four or five wins. I know people predict less, but, I mean, if you're not watching the NFL, teams win. Um, you know, <laughs> Atlanta probably five or six wins. Uh, Tampa Bay seven or eight wins, maybe nine. And then the Saints are the class of the division. The Saints are winning ten games. I mean, they do it every year. It's it's always ten and six, eleven and five. And I don't see it anything less than that. So, for this particular one, I'd take the favorite. I don't like doing it, but I'm getting a little bit more value there at a plus 140 than I am plus uh, 125. And that's I like fair. to make bigger bigger bets. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just look at this scenario as I just, unfortunately, I, I don't always see that everybody gets to ride off into the sunset the way well, they want. I don't want. think so either. Yeah. I mean, the, the deal is, it's very simple. You are a bigger fan of the Falcons than I am. Yeah. I mean, that's Oh, yeah. Oh, and, I, and believe me, the Falcons have flaws, especially on the defensive side of the football. But it's that inability to run the football that really worries me because again, the Patriots run all that play action. The Patriots did a lot of things to support Tom Brady at this stage of his career as a passer that I don't think the bucks are capable on their roster of doing that. And that's a giant concern for me. And I think at some point it's going to get exposed. I just don't know when and how much I, I would, I would guess they'll end up with Freeman or Fournette or somewhere or somebody Maybe. else. I mean, Maybe. I, I think Tampa Bay, if Tampa Bay's they're all they're in, in for a penny in for a pound. You're right. They may as well just, just go all in on this thing. And so I, I would guess that they'll improve that. Um, it, it, even in training camp, I think they could improve that. So, all right, uh, coming up next, we're going to dive into some IDP conversation. Scott Bogman of the fantasy black book joins Joe next right here on fantasy sports today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 